The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 11. Of course, a couple weeks ago when we were in this uh, portion of Scripture in chapter 19, uh, we uh, considered the story of a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector, a publican, and uh, the Lord, of course, uh, got a hold of his life and the great, great transformation that we saw uh, even in, uh, in a few simple verses that outlines that and what the Lord did for him and uh, through him as well. And uh, tonight we're going to be found in uh, verses 11 through, tw- 11 through 27. And uh, these events have happened just after this, more than likely uh, in the home of Zacchaeus as well, as uh, the Lord is there with him that day. And so pick, with me, pick up with me in verse number 11 of chapter 19 of the book of Luke. It says, and as they heard these things, he added and uh, spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain noble man uh, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and uh, delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But this citizen hated, but his citizens hated him and, uh, and uh, sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, and uh, that, he had, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very, in a very little, thou uh, have thou authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath, hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept, laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art a steward and uh, an austere man. Um, thou takest up that thou hast, thou laidest uh, not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, uh, take, uh, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, thou then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that, the, that at my coming I might have required uh, mine own with usury. Uh, verse number 24. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the, that pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, uh, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Verse number twenty-seven. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Our Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for this evening and your goodness. We thank you for the day that you've provided for us already. We ask that you would uh, just bless our time together. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word tonight and to study and to learn. 
We thank you for uh, the events that are taking place elsewhere on the campus here as well with our uh, young people uh, in, uh, in uh, child care learning about you tonight. Also, our Disciple Veterans meeting that is taking place, Lord. We just ask that you bless that time together also. And we ask that you would be honored and glorified through all that is done and that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as I mentioned, the text before us uh, takes us back to Jericho. Jesus had just met Zacchaeus. And he's, he's giving this parable in, um, we okay back there? Uh, the back screen was just giving me fits, and so I wasn't sure what was going on. You're throwing me off here. And uh, so uh, Jesus is giving this parable in Zacchaeus' home. And uh, every day that uh, Jesus and his disciples uh, move by, they're moving closer to Jerusalem. They're moving closer to his uh, death and to his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. Of course, as they get closer to Jerusalem, though, the disciples are not thinking about uh, his death and burial and resurrection. As uh, he is moving closer to Jerusalem, his disciples are actually expecting him to take over the throne of David and to set up a, an earthly kingdom and to uh, begin an, uh, a, a kingdom that they will be able to uh, rule in and reign in with him. In fact, Pentecost gives us this uh, background according to, to this passage. He writes this, he says, as Jesus and his disciples made their way toward Jerusalem, the 12 were sure that Jesus was going there to receive a crown to be acknowledged as king, and to institute the millennial kingdom. Christ now, uh, now told a parable in order to correct the misconception of the people who thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And so here they are thinking that his kingdom is coming and that he's going to be sitting on a throne physically, that he's going to do away with the Roman government, and in turn the Jews are going to rule and reign. And uh, they are expecting that to happen the moment he steps foot into Jerusalem. And he uses this time in the house of Zacchaeus and giving this parable as an opportunity to try to, uh, to correct those misconceptions. And so this, mer- this, this parable, I should say rather, is given for three purposes in mind. One being that to show that Jesus' kingdom would not be immediately established. My friends, he's going to have a kingdom on this earth established. This kingdom is coming. That is going to take place. The millennial reign will happen, uh, but it wasn't going to happen right then. And so he's helping to under, make that understanding that it's not going to be immediately established. And secondly, to remind his disciples that he is going to be leaving He's going to, to, to be gone for a while, but he will eventually return. And so he's reminding them of their future return, of his future return. And the third purpose of this uh, parable is to show the role that the, the disciples have in stewardship of the life that he gives them and the opportunities that they have while they await his return. And so the title of the message, if you wanted to consider one tonight, is found right out of the uh, words of Scripture, Well, thou good servant. Well, thou good servant. And as we consider this parable that Jesus gives, I want you to notice with me, number one tonight, the intent of this parable. As we look again at verses 12 and 13, we find it says, He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. 
So while the Lord is in Zacchaeus' home, he's giving this parable to teach his disciples about what we've just discussed, that his kingdom isn't going to be immediately established, that he will go away, but he will return. But they have a role to play. They have a stewardship in their life and resources that he's given them while they await his return. And so he's using the parable to teach about stewardship or management of life uh, in, his, uh, in his absence. And the parable begins with a master. Uh, of course, we can probably put two and two together and figure out the master and who that ought to represent in the parable and such. But he, re- he leaves to be able to receive a kingdom. And as the master is leaving, he calls together 10 servants and he leaves these 10 servants with his estate and instructs them to invest the substance that he leaves for them uh, or with them uh, for a better and for a future use. And so notice the intent regarding his journey in verse number 12. It says, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So the intent in his journey was that he was going to receive a kingdom. He was going out to receive uh, others unto himself and to have rule and reign over another portion of land. And in the parable, the nobleman then, of course, calls his servants uh, to himself before going into this country to receive it. He leaves instructions for these 10 servants uh, regarding what they should do while they're gone. He's just trying to be a a good master, a, a good leader. He's trying to set them up for success. He's trying to give them the resources necessary while he's gone uh, to be able to make wise decisions and to be able to accomplish the things that he'd like to see accomplished while he's gone. And Jesus is using this this story, this parable, uh, to teach that when he leaves the earth for heaven, uh, and as the disciples are awaiting the time of his return, that his servants aren't just to sit back with their feet up, sucking their thumbs, waiting for his return. They are to continue laboring for the kingdom in his absence. They have a job to do while, he, while they await for him to return. I'm reminded of a story of a missionary on the foreign field and uh, he had a, a building project that was taking place, and he was using uh, nationals to be able to accomplish all of the work. And while he was there on the job site, those nationals worked tirelessly. They worked and they worked and they worked because they, the, the missionary was there, their, their leader or uh, foreman, if you wanted to put it in those terms, was there to see and to make sure that they were doing their job. But anytime he had to step away, If he had to go visit a widow to minister unto them, or if he had to go uh, into the city for supplies, or whatever the case might be, when he would return, inevitably, he would return to the place where the work was supposed to be being accomplished to see his workmen just kind of sitting back and relaxing until he got there. And day after day and time after time, this was the same situation, and he was just scratching his head wondering, how in the world can I get these guys to, to work when I'm not around? And so he's, he's thinking to himself, I guess the only option is for me to stay here almost uh, continually or the work will never get done. And so he's there laboring one day and, and uh, was working hard to be able to get uh, the uh, work project accomplished. And, and uh, while he was working, he got something in his eye uh, and he actually had a glass eye. And so he pulled it out of the socket to clean it up. And instead of putting it immediately back, he laid it there on the stump and went back to work. 
as the day went on, he forgot all about the fact that he had taken his glass eye out and realized that he had to go into the town to get some more supplies. So he left and uh, went and got everything. And as he's journeying back with the wagon and tow behind him, he noticed that all of the workmen are not sitting back like all the times before, but that they are working tirelessly as if he was present with them in all the other times. He scratched his head wondering what was the difference? What made the reason uh, to why these individuals are still working even though I'm not around? And he realized that it was the glass eye sitting on the stump and all of the nationals thought that because he had taken it out, he could still see them even though he was not present there with them. Talk about eye service, right? <laughs> Listen, my friends, God does not expect for you and I to labor only if we think he's around. We need to remember the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And so therefore, he's left us here and we've still got a job to do for him until he returns. Because my friends, the intent of this parable regarding his journey is that he was going to receive a kingdom. But notice he says he will return. In verse number 12, again, at the latter part, it says, he went to receive to himself a kingdom and to return. Our Lord is going to return. And would he find us faithful when he does? See, Jesus is preparing the disciples for what would happen after his death and resurrection. He would be put into the, into the tomb and he would rise again and he'd spend some days with them before he'd ascend into heaven, but eventually he would be gone. He had promised them that he would send the comforter to be in their presence and to be with them. He knows the state of Israel at this point and uh, that his earthly kingdom is going to be postponed for a period of time at least. But in spite of that delay, he emphasizes the promise that he is coming back. He is going to return. In fact, we read in Acts chapter 1. In verses 6 and 7, right before he gives that great promise that we will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon him to be witness, come upon us to be witnesses. In those verses preceding those, we read in verses 6 and 7, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Here it is, it is again. They're still thinking in the same kind of mindset as they were at Zacchaeus' home before the, the death of Jesus, before his burial and resurrection. And now he has resurrected, and he's about to ascend into heaven, and they're still thinking in the same mindset. He says, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? In verse number seven, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. My friends, we don't know when he will return. We do know he is going to, but we don't know when he will. And so therefore, let us just labor for the master. Work for the night is coming. We look at the intent of this parable regarding his journey, but we see the intent of this parable regarding our responsibilities as well. Because look at verse number 13. It says, he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. Now, a pound, of course, is uh, a, a Greek weight. The word occupy tells us that the nobleman or the master expected his servants to take the one pound that he had given unto them for the time which he would be gone, and he expected them to invest it. He, ex he expected them to invest it in order to produce more or to make it prosperous. Now, it's interesting to think that the Lord said unto his disciples, that he's going to give the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 
And just like he uses this, this uh, uh, parable to show that the master provided for his servants to accomplish his work while he was not in their presence, the Lord has given us his spirit as believers to be able to accomplish his work even while we're not physically in his presence as well. But he says, occupy till I come. And so therefore, the ex expectation from the, uh, the master was this, to take what I've given you and to build upon it to let it grow, to see production because of it. He was expecting the servants to build upon the income, and so therefore he gave each servant a portion of money to invest. And understand this tonight, my friends, God has given each and every one of us tonight some type of gift or talent for his service. And he desires that we would take it and invest it into his work. I look out at the, the world today and there are talented individuals in Hollywood and in the music industry. There are, are bright and intelligent minds in uh, entrepreneurial endeavors and building businesses and running businesses and companies as well. And to think about the fact that the talents that the Lord has provided for them, what it could be done if it was used for the work of God. And we, th we sit there and we say, man, it's just a shame that unsaved people don't serve the Lord. Now, what the real shame is, is that saved people sit on the talents and the gifts that God has given to them. We've got a church full of individuals that have been given gifts and talents for the Lord, to, uh, for His service. And I'm thankful that a, a great majority of our church uses it for Him. But let us never hold back. Let us never hide in a napkin, according to the parable, the talents that the Lord has given us for His use and for His service. See, the Bible tells us in Psalm 85, 12, Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18, it says, And thou shalt, thou shall, I'm sorry, and thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. See, the Lord expects us to take, and while he's gone, while we wait for his return, to take what he's given us and to use it for his honor and glory to help build his kingdom. He also expects us to steward the resources in which he's given us. See, we are God's stewards that means that nothing we have belongs actually to us. We just manage it for Him. And everything that we have has just simply been entrusted into our care and into the use for Him. In fact, Randy Alcorn describes the role of the steward in this way. He writes, If God was the owner, I was the manager, I need to adopt a steward's mentality toward the assets He has entrusted, not given to me. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It is his job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets, then, then carry out his will. See, the things that the Lord has provided for us are his. And as believers, as Christians, our, our duty is to find out and, and, and understand what the Lord's will is for his his goods, for his supplies, for his belongings that he's entrusted us with and use it for his honor and for his glory. See, there are two specific, uh, specifically mentioned things in scripture 
that we can wisely steward as Christians as far as finances is concerned, since he's talking about talents, about financing here in this portion of Scripture. We can steward the, what the Lord has provided, first off, through our tithes. The Bible reminds us in, my, in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have ye robbed thee? We, ha- we robbed thee. In tithes and offerings, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open uh, you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. My friends, we need to understand that tithing is not giving, it is bringing. It is bringing to the Lord what is His already. We are not giving the Lord anything when we tithe. We are simply obeying His command in what He expects for us to do regarding His property. I've spoken with folks who said, I just can't afford to tithe. I just don't make enough money. And you've probably heard the name John D. Rockefeller. But John D. Rockefeller has said that, was quoted as saying this, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made had I not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. See, the, the, the issue is not about the amount of money in which we have in our bank account or that we have at our disposal. It is about our heart in the matter and our obedience to the Lord. But the second way specifically in finances that we can steward well is through, is through giving. So tithing is not giving, but it is bringing. So anything above and beyond that would be a gift or giving unto the Lord. And the nobleman, it tells us, gives a, gave his servants from his resources. He expected them to bring an increase for the resources back to himself. And God has provided for each and every one of us financially. Let's be honest about it. We are quite wealthy. No matter what standard of living we think we live by, compared to the entirety of the world, we are very wealthy people. And God has provided for us in that way, that we might be able to give back to His work through His church and unto Him and unto His service. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him that there be no, gather, uh, no gatherings when I come. So number one, tonight we've seen the intent. But notice also, secondly, tonight the inspection in verses 14 through 23. We won't take time to read all the verses right now. We'll pick up along the way. But when the king returned, he had each of the servants come, on, come before him and give a, a, an account for what they did with the master's resources. We're reminded back in Luke 16, verse number 2, it says, And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. And so it's obvious that it's a, it's a normal thing for the master to un, want to have a reporting on what has happened with what he has given. And so we see three of the ten described throughout this portion of Scripture before us. And in this inspection, we first see the inspection of the first good steward or the first good good servant in verses 15 through 17. It says, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money. 
that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And so we find as he inspects the work of this first good servant, we find his faithfulness on display in verse number 16. The first servant gained ten times more than what he had started with. He made wise decisions with what the Lord had, his Lord had given him, and he faithfully carried out the task of being the manager that the Lord expected for him and desired for him to be. And because of that, we see a reward given to him in verse number 17 as well. And we also notice that the reward was far greater than the gain that the servant actually got. We see that this individual took one pound and, uh, and, and he took it and he multiplied it by 10. And he ended up getting 10 pounds out of it. And the reward from the master was to have authority not over a little bit of money, but over 10 cities. What an amazing thing that is. We're, we read in Revelation 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know what my desire is? To hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And to be able to, rule, to, be able to reign and to spend that, the time with the Lord in, in, in such blessing and such, uh, such communion with Him. But I, I want to go on record as stating this tonight, my friends. We will never outgive God. We will never do it. We, we think we sacrifice, we think we give, and we think that we are doing this or that. But each time we give to the Lord, He gives us more in return. I'm not saying that we give $10, he's going to give us $20 back. I'm not saying that in all of those ways, but it is true that whatever, when we give unto the Lord, he blesses us tremendously in ways that sometimes we can't even explain. In Luke chapter 6 and verse number 38, it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. David Livingston, he uh, kind of exemplified this type of a life. When he wrote these words, he said, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interest of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it, sh it I shall most promote the glory of him uh, to whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. He said, if I give it away, I'm going to give it away because it's going, to, it's going to promote the work of God. If I keep it, I'm only going to keep it because it's going to exalt the name of God. See, everything I have is his, and that is my greatest desire, he said. So we see the inspection of the first good servant, but notice the inspection of the second good servant, verses 18 and 19. It says, And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. In verse number 19, he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. See, although this servant only was able to do half of what the first did, he also received a reward. And in that reward, he was able to rule over five cities, it says. But understand this tonight. The return did not occur in equal amounts. We, we find that the two individuals, one got 10, one got five. They didn't occur in equal amounts. 
But it did happen through equal sacrifice and equal giving. Understand me tonight. We are not going to all do the same things for Christ as the, other per- the next person. But we all can give our lives for Him. We all can give our all to Him. See, Christian giving does not depend on material circumstances so much as spiritual convictions. And it doesn't matter the number in our bank account or the resources behind our name or a title in front of our name or anything along those lines. It is just simply about us giving ourselves unto the Lord and seeing how He will bring the the increase. Not all people have the same incomes. Not all people have the same opportunities. Not all have the same results uh, in their finances. But each person can remain faithful. Each person is not going to stand behind this pulpit and preach. Each person is not going to stand in a classroom and teach. Each person is not going to do this or that. But we all can be faithful in whatever we do for the Lord. And that's what the Lord desires. When one gives sacrificially, We give as much as anybody else does because we're giving what we can of ourselves unto the Lord. It's not about an amount, uh, but but it is about what we are willing to give of ourselves unto the Lord. So we've seen the inspection of the first good servant, the the inspection of the second good servant, but notice the inspection of the wicked servant here in verses 20 through 23. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept, laid up in a napkin, because I feared thee. This is, this is the idea. This is the mentality of this last one. The servant had made no deposit, and so therefore he had made no return. He was not faithful to the instructions that he would, was left behind with as, the Lord, as his Lord went off and his master went off to a far country. And so therefore he would receive a stern rebuke uh, for his incompetence here. We find in verses 20 and 21... He, he, he tries to excuse away why he didn't do anything, but it's a poor excuse. He gives a poor excuse. We find here in verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 20. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou uh, takest up that thou laidest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. This third servant was different from the first two in the fact that he was not willing to obey his master's word. He did not stay faithful to his master's word. He was indifferent, if you may, and therefore he made excuses as to why he couldn't accomplish what the others had accomplished. He blamed others. He blamed the master as to why he didn't accomplish what the others had accomplished. Someone has once said that it's not what you do with the millions if fortune should err be your lot. But what you are doing at present with the dollar or the quarter that you've got. It's not about whether or not we have been given much or little. It's about our faithfulness to what we've been instructed to do with it. That word assure there means uh, to uh, be be of a mind, uh, uh, meaning of mind and manners, harsh, rough, or rigid. So what what the servant is saying here is this. He's blaming the king and not himself for his lack of prosperity. He's saying, because you're a harsh individual, because you're a mean individual, because you're a rough individual, I was afraid that if I didn't do good with what, I, what you gave me, that you would come and, and uh, get on my case. And so I just simply did nothing. So it's actually your fault. 
That, that's what he's saying unto his master here in this time. But his reaction's not correct. See, we understand this tonight, that our God is not a tyrant. But he does deal with his servants in grace. He does deal with his servants accordingly. And we find that because of this man's uh, poor excuse, he received a harsh rebuke in verse number 22. He said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. He says, uh, he says that he knew that he would take up what he had laid not down, and they'd reap that he did not sow. Verse number 23, he said, Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. See, the servant would be judged by his own words, in essence. He said, well, you say that I am a harsh and a a, uh, a, a harsh judge, and so therefore you're going to receive this harsh rebuke. He believed the master to be a harsh man and would find out just how harsh he really could be. We find that he calls him a wicked servant. The word wicked means to be, uh, be meaning in an ethical sense that he was evil or bad. See, the, the man had misjudged the king. See, the king was only asking back for what he had distributed to his servants only asking for faithfulness for what he had given. And everything was his to begin with anyways. So to ask for it back was not asking for anything more than what he had already given. He had instructed the servants only to invest the resources they had given to him, but this man did not invest wisely. So the servant could have at least placed the money, he says, into a bank where he would have gotten some type of interest or some type of return, but instead, he, he, he hid it, and the money went unused. We find the final interaction here is point number three as we close tonight in verses 24 through 27. It says, And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him that pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not uh, that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. We see three things in this, in this final interaction in the parable. The first thing is this, that the, the, the master rewarded the faithful. We, we've, we've seen this already in verses 24 through 26. Um, there, there seemed to be some questions about the Lord's decisions there had been some questions about the master's plans and what he was going to do. However, it is clear that he was king, that he was in charge, and therefore he distributes as he chooses and because it all belongs to him anyways, and he's going to reward those who are faithful. So he took the money away from the unfaithful servant, gave it to the servant who had made the best investment. We also see that not only does he reward the faithful, but he judges the unfaithful. Notice verse number 26, for I say unto you, well, the last part of it, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. See, the wicked, the wicked servant lost his possessions, and this serves as a reminder that the wicked of this world will lose all they possess. What's the Bible say? What does it profit a man? Should he gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? A, pay, a, a person can, if you may, gain the world, but if they don't have the Lord, 
they've truly lost everything. And notice the punishment of the unbelieving in verse number 27. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. See, back in verse number 14, um, we find that the citizens of the country that the nobleman uh, had received as his kingdom was rejecting him. He was going off onto this new, this new land. He was going to receive this new kingdom. And look at verse number 14. We didn't read it earlier, but once at the beginning. It says, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Now, they didn't, they didn't accept him, but verse number 15 says that he'd returned already having received the kingdom. So although the people didn't receive him, he was still the king of the, of the kingdom. He was still in charge. And uh, the, because they wouldn't accept him and receive him, there was, there was punishment for them as well. Those people of the king's country who rejected him, rejected him as king would be slain. And people who reject the king of kings will likewise receive their punishment for unbelief as well. In John 12, verses 47 and 48, it says, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. They are going to have to stand before God and give an account for the fact that they've rejected him. In the parable here before us, the master just desired that his servants prepare for his return by just simply being faithful to the instructions that he had given them. And when he returned, he sought to seek out and find what his servants did. Some did well. Unfortunately, some didn't do so well. And there was a judgment because of it. And uh, we are now living in an age of grace. We understand that. Our king has taken his journey. The king will soon return. And therefore, we must prepare for his return. We must be ready for the Lord's return. And we prepare for our Lord's returning first by being saved. And I know we're talking to a Sunday night crowd and looking across this. I know most of your testimonies. But the truth of the matter is we must know Christ as our personal Savior. That's the first step. That's the only way we first can prepare for his coming and for his return. But after salvation, we are, we are expected to invest the talents and the resources that the Lord has entrusted to us. Because we will stand before God and we will give an account for what we have done for him, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Our faithful stewardship of these resources will ultimately bring about eternal rewards. I'm thankful that the judgment that we will stand before God with is not about whether or not I'm going to get to have a home in heaven or whether I have to go to hell. That's settled with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do, I, I desire to stand before the Lord and hear, well done. Well done. Just like he said unto his servant that had taken the pound and turned it to ten, well thou good servant. Well thou good servant. And that's what I want to hear. And I pray that each and every one of us would hear that as well. But it only happens when we stay committed and faithful to taking what the Lord has given unto us and using it faithfully until his return. Could you stand your feet with me here tonight, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder how many here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved and I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die tonight, I'd stand before the Lord Jesus and I'd spend eternity with him forever. Could I just rejoice with you? Slip your hand up and right back down. If that's you here tonight, hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that.
Would there be anyone here who would just be honest enough to say, Pastor, when it comes to this, the, 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 the king's return, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I am prepared for his return because I don't know that, that he is my savior. I don't know that if I die today that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you if that's you here tonight? Just slip your hand up and write back down. And one last question. Who here would say, Pastor, I understand that my, my service and my faithfulness and using what the Lord has given me for his honor and glory has no bearing on my home in heaven. But I do long to hear, well done when I arrive home. I do long to hear from the lips of my Savior that I've just been faithful to the best of my ability. I've been faithful to what he'd given to me and the instructions he'd left for me as I await his return. And who here would say, Pastor, tonight, if anything, the message has just done this one thing. It's kind of rejuvenated. It is kind of uh, lit a fire again in my heart to just be faithful with, with what the Lord has given me and to be faithful to his instructions until he returns. Could I just pray with you about that here tonight? So if you're up and right back down, hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray, then the piano is going to begin to play. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, I want to invite you to come. Just give that over to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, this is yours. These are your, the, your resources. This is, my, this is your home. This is your vehicle. This is your finances. This is your talents. This is your service. Whatever area he might be speaking to your heart about, say, Lord, this is yours. And just find me faithful, uh, being obedient to how you've instructed me to use it for your honor and glory. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your, your love and goodness. Have your will and your way in this invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.